once a year, I sit down and I list all of my tech stack. What is the price that I'm paying for everything? And then I give it two scores. I give it an impact score. So what is the impact that it has on the practice itself from base a score from a one to a 10? And then I give it a score of, do I like it? How much does it frustrate me? When is it working, not working? And then I multiply those two scores out. And pretty much anything that's scoring less than, say, a 50, I'm like, why do I still have this technology? It's time to get rid of it. Welcome to the Active Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Harbor Capital. Join us as we learn from pros who have helped thousands of investors live better lives. I'm Brian Moore, and I'll be chatting with some of the brightest minds in the financial advisory business, bringing you insights on practice management and investment research that works for advisors and their clients. Joining me today on this episode of the Active Advisor Podcast is Johans Harrison, BFA, CRPC. Johans is the founder and CEO of MoneyScript Wealth Management a financial firm that's helping high-income earners take charge of their finances by means of cash flow planning, debt reduction, and wealth management. With 22 years of experience in the financial services industry, his dedication to his client's financial success is an embodiment of his firm's motto, a wealth of possibilities. His proven track record has even earned him a spot as one of Investopedia's top 100 advisors in 2023. Outside of work, Johans provides financial education courses for colleges and organizations across the United States. He hails originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, and currently resides in Dallas, Texas, with his wife, Alicia, and their two children. Welcome, Johans, and thank you for joining us. Brian, thank you. I have to say, I'm bringing you with me everywhere I go. That was, I was expecting you to say, let's get ready to rumble afterwards. It was just flowing. I was like, yes, that was good. I usually like to do the Michael Buffer impersonation. Let's get ready. <laughs> yeah. I actually had the uh, privilege of meeting him once, so I'll have to tell you about that story later. But we're going to switch topics now. We're going to kind of get back into finance. So getting right into it, we always like to start off by asking, what's the first memory you have related to money or investing? That is amazing that you asked that question, because that's the same question I ask on my podcast is, what is your first memory of money? I don't do the investing part. Because I spend so much time with this question, what I found is that I keep finding new memories as I, you know, go into the recesses of my memory bank. And the one that is the most prolific for me is uh, counting pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters at my grandmother's house. My grandmother lived in Far Rockaway, New York. We would go and see her in the summertime. And she had these shoe boxes in her closet that were just full of coins. And while she would watch her daytime soap operas, and while my parents were out, you know, visiting other friends, my sister and I, our job was to roll pennies and dimes and nickels and quarters. However, the beauty of it is that whatever we rolled, she would give us in cash the equivalent when we were done. And it took us a little while to realize that we should not be focused on those pennies because um, there were just so many of them. So it was like, all right, well, let's get all these pennies first. And, you know, we'd be excited like, whoa, look at all these things we rolled and then we get $5. I was like, wait a minute. And uh, then we finally learned. And so we started spending time just sorting them and just ignoring the pennies. And we would only roll the quarters, the nickels, and the dimes. So that is, that's probably one that, that still tends to stick out in my mind. And I think what's most interesting about that is I don't think my daughter will ever have that experience because of our lack of reliance on quarters, nickels, dimes, and pennies. Yeah, you're right. But I do, I can right there with you when you say that you had the little paper rolls in there. Just right. Oh, yeah. Or you're doing it and you're not paying attention. Like, wait, how many are in here? Start over. So that was before I learned that you could just take a ruler and measure the length of it. Or you could just, you know, if you had a little scale, put on the scale and and know the weight before then. So I was counting out 50 pennies or counting out however many quarters went in there. I I think 40 quarters or something. I can't remember right now. So no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's probably one of my, the one that comes up the most when I think about my first memories. Well, I'm, Absolutely love that first memory. I would love to hear a little bit more kind of your background and, if, you know, the genesis, I guess, actually, of MoneyScript Wealth Management. And how did you kind of come to, you know, decide that you wanted to form that and help clients in that way? So it all started when I was in college and looking for work. I found a role at Bank of America. Well, at the time, it was Nations Bank. So I found a role at Nations Bank as a teller. 
And that's when I was really introduced to how money works in the commercial space and in the digital world. I'd always had a bank account at a local credit union. And I understood, you know, I had an ATM card to put money in and out and, uh, you know, write a check every now and then or deposit checks. But getting to understand what CDs are and money market funds and then mutual funds, because this was in the late 90s and that was the heyday of the dot-com era, I started to make relationships with the investment bankers that we had uh, locally where we refer business to. And I remember one month they were giving out the awards for, you know, whatever happened that month. And, you know, I got like, I don't know, some a t-shirt or a steak knife or something. And I said, well, if this is what I got for a million dollars worth of referrals that went to the investment banker, what did he get? And so I asked my manager, well, okay, I got this t-shirt. What did he get? And she said, you should probably go talk to him. And so I did. And he showed me what he got. And what he showed me was his paycheck. And his paycheck was more than I made in the entire year. And I said, I'm at the wrong part of the bank. And that's when I really became more interested in investment banking and becoming eventually a financial advisor. Unfortunately, Nations Bank and Bank of America merged and I was actually in their broker training program and they shut it down while I was in it. So I found that that was my first layoff ever. So that was fun. And I found myself looking for a new financial services company that I could associate with. However, I still had not completed my college degree and no one wanted to hire what was essentially a poor black kid with no natural market, no wealth myself to bring them into a financial services organization. It was just everyone said no until one company said yes. And simultaneously, I had decided that my girlfriend and I had decided that we were going to have a kid. I guess we decided it was decided for us, kind of. And so I also had this impending, okay, I have a child on the way. I've got to make this happen. And so that's when I learned about American Express Financial Advisors. And I sent my resume to their corporate office and they said, well, we don't have anything in Charlotte, but you could go to Boston, you could go to Dallas, or you could go to San Francisco. And being from small town, then small town Charlotte, I thought Boston too cold, San Francisco way too expensive. And I looked at the latitudinal line there. I said, Dallas looks like it's the same as Charlotte. Let's do that. And I... We packed our bags, put everything, you know, put everything in storage, and we drove to my first interview. And fortunately, they gave me an opportunity. They just said, you have to pass all of your exams, Series 7, 66, Group 1, Life and Health. And I said, I'm a great student. I'm a good test taker. Let's go. And so that's where my career began as a financial advisor was in Dallas, Texas. From there, I excelled. I did really well. I was able to get the requirements that they needed for clients. And of course, I did it without any natural market as some advisors, a lot of advisors start off with a good amount of natural market. Uh, but I didn't have any natural market, not anyone that had any money for that matter. So I had to go out and create it on my own. So I learned very early on about having a good referral presentation to give the clients and you know how to meet people and have an elevator speech and, and just have conversations about money naturally with strangers. And of course, that awarded me the chance to become a, a manager and start training other advisors. Eventually, I moved to California and became a manager and a branch manager and a field vice president. I was just climbing that corporate ladder. And one day, right, I just woke up and I realized I was miserable. You know, my son was a lot older. He was a teenager, was demanding more of my time because he was heavy into theater. And uh, I was you know, volunteering my time at the theater to support him. I also had gotten remarried, and so I had a new wife and, and building that family there. And I also went through the tragedy of my mother passing away. And in all of that, I was, like I said, miserable. And I realized that I had gone into this path of management and had gotten very far away from what I originally wanted to do was just help people make better decisions with their money. And so I just decided that I didn't want to be in leadership anymore. And so eventually I parted ways with was then Ameriprise Financial. And then just was thinking, okay, well, what now? And part of my role at Ameriprise was I was recruiting other advisors and I would talk to people that were independent. And I always looked at that like, wow, that must be cool. That looks like it's fun to be able to kind of chart your own way, create your own path in the financial services industry. But I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know how to start my own business. And so I called a mentor and he told me, you know, hey, I'll help you get started. Uh, actually, my wife kind of pushed me out of the bed one day, said, you need to find something to do with your time. Stop being a scaredy cat. And uh, actually, she didn't say it that way, but that's how I received it. She asked, what are you so afraid of? And on that day, I just couldn't figure out what I was avoiding anymore. So I called the mentor and he said, I've been waiting for this day. Come meet me for lunch. And that day he laid out the path for me of how to start my own firm. And so that's how MoneyScript Wealth Management was born. I had always vowed, though, after living in California, 
which shout out to all my friends and family and clients in California. I hope you enjoy that sunshine tax, but it was too much for me. And I realized that uh, I'd rather go someplace where my dollars went a little bit further and I needed a little bit slower lifestyle than Los Angeles offered. So uh, once my son graduated from high school, we relocated the family here to Dallas. Fortunately for me, my wife's father lived in Dallas. He retired in Dallas. So I said, hey, look, we have some family there. So, so that is where we are now. So that is how I came into the business, how I went from being an employee and then becoming an independent financial advisor and starting my own firm. And that's what I'm doing now, running the practice. Uh, we work with about 300 families. I'm having more fun than I ever imagined possible. I really love what I do. I love the team that we have that helps us do it. I love getting the text and the calls and the emails from clients just, you know, showing me how, hey, we bought the house or, you know, our son is graduating, or our daughter's graduating. So all of that is really what I live for now. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, and I definitely understand. I think there's a lot of people who kind of, you know, start going down a career path and they find themselves like, eh, this is not where really where I want to be. And so I want to salute you. It takes a lot of courage and dedication to kind of go, like, you know what, I'm going to hang a left here. But you know, usually when you do, you find good things happen. So that's great to hear. Would love to actually hear money script wealth management. I'm sure there's got to be a story around the money script part and kind of a meaning to you personally. Absolutely, there is. And what's interesting about the money script part is there is another advisor and psychologist out of San Diego that I didn't even know that he existed. And we actually both registered our firms around the same time, which was, it was really weird how the universe was working. But I'm a huge fan of the artist Jay-Z. Actually, in a former life, I was in college. I did some work with Def Jam Music at the Meet Jay-Z a bunch of times before he was a billionaire a few times over. But he had a song that he did called Stick to the Script. And so I would use that languaging with clients. Like, hey, just let's just stick to the script. This is the plan we have. Let's stick to it. You know, even if things change, the economy changes, tax laws change, let's stick to the script. And... I started playing with the idea of money script as well. And this was even when I was still in as an employee. And uh, I didn't know that was going to be a thing, you know, a decade later. In hindsight, I'm like, man, I should have kind of capitalized on that. But it was a concept that was floating in the financial services industry for about, as far as I know, at least a decade. So the whole idea of a money script is it is this preconceived notion or a series of events that have happened to you or that you've participated in that give you a view or a lens of how money works in your life. And we often revert to our money scripts subconsciously because some of them were created when we were a, a child or a teenager. And, and I know I went through that because my family went from being okay and then going into poverty. And so that created some of my money scripts on how I think about money money is the root of all evil or money doesn't grow on trees. And those are things that I also believed and were money scripts that I uh, subscribed to until I was able to kind of turn it around. I was like, well, wait a minute. If I had an apple farm and that's all I did was, you know, pick apple, have apples and sell them, my money does grow on trees. So if the apples don't grow, there's no money. So it was like, wait, wait, money can grow on a tree. I think of my money tree as my referral tree. So I built out this tree of all the clients and who they've referred over time. And that is a tree. My money does grow on that referral tree. If I don't water that tree and nourish those clients and make sure that they're happy and taken care of, then they're not going to continue referring. So I have a money tree. That's the idea of what money scripts are. And so when I decided I was starting my own firm, it was only natural that I use the name money script. And then I found out that there's a psychologist that did years of work on this, and he's been promoting his book and his concepts for a long time, for since 2000, I think we're around the same time, 2015 or 16, I think it was. I do just thank you for letting me continue to use it as my name <laughs> because uh, I do have a lot of clients that are able to relate to it. There is a second part that came with it, and this is uh, thanks to a lot of my clients. I work with a lot of folks in the medical industry, and so they understood the idea of, okay, our patients come to us looking for a prescription. What do I need to do? They started coming to me saying, okay, well, what's the prescription? Write me a script. And so, all right, let me write you out the money script. And so like I said, this is something we've been toying with for years because I've been working. One of my first clients was a physician. So it only felt natural to utilize money script wealth management as the name of the firm. Nice. I have to ask now a totally separate topic. Do you have like where your notepads is it like prescription pad? Oh, yeah. And I also developed a sloppy signature as well. 
Nice. Just so it's, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Back in the, <laughs> in the old days, when I was still in corporate, I would actually put that out because I had the little uh, letterhead. I would put that out for a client like, here's your money script. And I'd just rip it off and hand it to them. 500 in your Roth IRA. You know, here you go. So yeah, it, no, we used to get a kick out of it. So That's great. It totally makes sense. And I love kind of how you followed it through the years and built a practice around it. And definitely when you say it like that, it really makes sense and kind of, okay, this is what I need to do. This is, I need to follow it. And I think a lot of clients, you know, need that. One of the things I would love to kind of touch back on is in the intro, we read that you were a BFA. We know you've got the Chartered Retirement Planning Council now designation, but the BFA one really intrigues me. How do you utilize that? And have you found that helps, you know, the behavioral finance analysis helps build, differentiate your practice. Absolutely. I started the BFA, Brian, in 2020. After the pandemic began, I had a mentor and mutual friend of ours that reached out to me and said, hey, I just came across this designation. Whatever you're doing, stop and go get this designation. And so I trust him and I said, okay, I'll look into it. And it was kind of one of those passing things like, oh, here he is, one of his great ideas again. And so I start researching and I find out that it was being offered through Think to Perform. And the leaders at Think to Perform or, or the leader at the time of Think to Perform was a gentleman by the name of Doug Linick. Well, Doug Linick was an executive at IDS Financial Services, which turned into American Express Financial Advisors. And he was in the North Texas area where he was doing his leadership, which is where I was when I started my career. So a lot of the concepts I was very familiar with. I had already read several of Doug's books. I was, there were parts of the behavioral financial advice that I was already incorporating into the things that I do. What was different is that this designation really made me sit down and focus on three basic things, values, goals, and financial behaviors. And what I realized is that I was doing a great job at helping, looking at my clients' financial behaviors and getting them aligned with their goals. I did a great job of that. But what I didn't do a good job of was saying it out loud to the clients. Okay, you have your goals and you have your values and adding the values piece in there. We understand what your values are, your financial behaviors and alignment. And just making them look themselves in the mirror or in their financial mirror and answer that question and say, okay, well, all right, if they're not in alignment, what are we going to do about it? And so after getting the recommendation and taking the course and getting the designation, I immediately embedded it into everything that I do. So I started going back to when I was doing annual reviews with clients and start off with, let's do a values exercise. That values exercise became a referable moment where clients would say, oh, I need you to do this with my sister. Oh, I need you to do this with my parents. So my, no one's ever done this with me before. And I've had entire meetings where all we do is talk about values and talk nothing about the money, okay? And then the follow-up is, oh yeah, by the way, I found this account that has a couple hundred thousand dollars in it. Maybe we should move that into our accounts with you. Oh, you found it. Okay, just 200,000, just forgot about. God, it sounds exciting. But it came from that values conversation and being able to develop a more common language with clients that's not centered around whether the market goes up or down, tax laws are changing, or whatever's going on in the news that day. And I felt that it helped my clients just become more grounded in their goals and creating a better relationship with those financial behaviors. Because I'll say to clients all the time, like, look, whatever you've done, you've already done. Okay. If you spent too much time eating out last week, well, you can't go back and return the food that you ate. Now, yeah, maybe if you bought some electronics, could you go and sell them if you decide you don't need them anymore, whether it's the big screen TV or the fancy camera phone, whatever. Sure, you can. But are you really going to move backwards on those decisions? No, not really. What's done is done. The real question becomes, how do you modify your behaviors so that they're more in alignment with your goals and values? So since I got the designation, as I mentioned, I started going through the exercise with all of my existing clients and started putting it at the forefront of what I'm doing with new clients. And I've had many clients that come to me that already had financial advisors somewhere else and say, I feel like that other advisor, all they cared about was whatever they were selling, okay? And, you know, and I would tell them, like, you know, I hope that's not true, 
I said, we're just going to have a different relationship. And if it makes sense for me to be the manager of some of the products or the investments that you have, great. But we're going to start with this financial plan and helping you get your values, your goals, and your financial behaviors in alignment. So I have done some of the numbers of it. I don't have them in front of me for this call, but I've done some of the numbers to see, okay, have my referrals, the amount of referrals grown that I've received since I focused on the BFA? And the answer is absolutely yes. And by a significant percentage. Have the number of new clients that come to the firm gone up? Absolutely yes. And by a significant percentage. Uh, one thing I can share is that it is August. Well, by the time you're hearing this, maybe September, I'm excited to share that the firm has as many new clients in 2023 as it had in all of 2022. Congratulations. Thank you. Are we doing something different? Absolutely. Do I see the results showing up in new clients acquired referrals? Yes. Am I seeing it in the revenue? Not yet, but I know that's over lagging. I know that lags. So as the new clients come, I got to wait to transfer the assets, wait for that 200000 that was just found to <laughs> find its way here. So, uh, but I have seen, well, we are on pace to do about 140%, I think is what I saw in financial planning fees over last year. So I am seeing it there. I think we'll hit somewhere close to our year to date of 2022 very soon if we didn't already. Nice. Congratulations. Would love to actually hear, I'm really intrigued with the BFA designation. I believe that this is a customer service business. I think too many people, and we've gotten a bad rep in the past of just being, I want to sell you something. And the movie's definitely going to help that stereotype. Could you provide an example of a kind of a challenging situation, a challenging financial situation you helped a client navigate through using some of the techniques that you've learned in the behavioral finance or the BFA program? Oh, the simplest one, and I don't know if I'll be able to point to an exact, I'll see if it comes to me, but the simplest part of the behavioral financial advice that's really easy to implement with clients is the smart money management philosophy. So the idea of having a smart place to get money when you need it. Actually, I just thought of something. Here we go. So had a brand new doctor, well, soon a brand new attending physician that had a little bit of time off and was working some moonlighting, waiting for a new job to start. And I shared with this physician, I said, hey, while you don't have any bills right now because of the living situation, fine, you don't have any bills. We're just going to stack as much of this money as we can to build up your cash reserves. What about investing? Okay, we'll get to that. Okay, you'll get a 401k. You know, maybe we'll do a Roth IRA. We have time before we need to do that. Okay, well, what about, should I start paying my student loans? We'll get to that too. I mean, right now it was during COVID. It was like they're at 0%. So you really don't have to worry about it right now. Let's just focus on building that cash reserve. Because again, going back to your goals and your values, one of your goals you said is you want to make sure that you have an emergency fund. Well, that's what we're going to build. Well, of course, the emergency eventually came. And the emergency that happened is that there was a bad storm, hurricane, that came into the city where she was going to be working. And that hurricane flooded the hospital where she was going to work. And all of a sudden, her new job no longer existed. She had already signed up for an apartment, so she had rent that she had to pay for, you know, still needed to ship her cards and other things. And she calls me freaking out, what am I going to do? I was like, just wait to find a new job. Well, how am I going to pay my bills? Cash reserve. I said, we make sure that we have a smart place to get money when you need it. You have a cash reserve. You can pay your rent for the next six months. I was like, I do? I was like, yeah, you don't remember your discount here? She was like, oh, yeah, that's what that's for. Yes. She was like, so that whole time you had me just saving this money, you just knew something would happen. I said, no, I didn't know. That's part of the smart money management philosophy is planning for the certainty of uncertainty. I didn't know. Uh, and then she only wanted being out of work for maybe, I don't know, six, eight weeks or something like that. It wasn't that long of a period of time before she was able to find another job and placement. But that was a, an example of, no, we're not going to do the Roth IRA. We're not going to, you know, do whatever investment ideas you think of. We're just going to put this money in this reserve in case something goes wrong. We know that it's there. So that's probably my, and that's two components. It's a smart money management philosophy and planning for the certainty of uncertainty. And now, actually, I have a better one for you. Uh, another client, this was about two years ago, so 2021, two physicians, married, great income. You know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of income. The husband was already a client. The wife was then brought into the situation as a physician looking over a situation. I said, hey, you should get some supplemental disability insurance. And there was this whole question, ah, do we really want to spend the money on it? And, you know, I might not work full time. We're planning on starting a family. 
I said, great. Well, if we find out we don't need it, we get rid of it. But right now, if something happens to you, you're only going to have X amount of money instead of Y. This is something that's smart to do, planning for this certain year of uncertainty. Her husband already had a policy. And so he said, yeah, let's do it. Let's get the policy. Three months later, she has an aneurysm while at work. She's been collecting on that disability policy ever since. Okay? And it was no history. I mean, the, the insurance company gave her the insurance, no problem. So there's no history of anything. It was one of those just random I forgot they told me the percentage of people it happens to, but it's less than 1%. And she has been collecting on that policy ever since. Even when her job is saying, hey, we're not, we're trying to take you off disability. The policy that she got, the private policy has, is still paying to her household. So that's just another example. I just said, hey, this is the best thing I could think of to do with this money. And I hope that it's a complete waste of money. I tell clients that all the time. I hope that all of your insurance is a complete waste of money, except for the life insurance. If you have permanent, <laughs> you better pay off at some point. But I hope all of your insurance, if you have a term policy, I hope you waste money on it. If you have home insurance, I hope you're wasting money on that. I hope you're wasting money on your car insurance. I hope you're wasting money on your medical insurance because that means nothing ever happened. You never had to make a claim. That's good. Okay. So let's think of some areas where we can waste money in a smart way, just in case something goes wrong, that we have that to fall back on. No, there's definitely nothing wrong with having a little peace of mind. Yeah. Since we're on the topic of clients, can you tell me a little bit more about who you're serving and how you're finding them? I know you mentioned that, you know, you work with a lot of people in the medical field. Yes, I am working with a lot of people in the medical field. And that is now it's a little more by design. Early in my career, it was because I asked, I had someone that gave me a lot of referrals. I had a young lady that I met. She worked for a um, medical device company. And we were in the same building, so I passed her in the elevator a lot. And so one day I asked her to lunch, again, practicing my referral script. And she just told me flat out, she said, I know what you want. You want to know all my cardiologists? I was like, yes, that'd be great. I would love to. And this is back in the early 2000s. So she hands me a Rolodex with all the paper business cards. She was like, you can take that to your office, copy it, bring it back to me. And a mentor had helped me understand very early on that when you get a list of names, that's just as good as going to the phone book and ripping out a few pages. You got to know that you got some relationship with that. So I took those. And I said, thank you. But I also still went through my referral script with her. And one of the first questions that I would ask at the end of giving my whole presentation is, I'm sure you're aware that business owners work incredibly hard for their business, but they may not be aware of ways to help their business work equally as hard for them. Do you know anyone that recently started a business or is looking to start a business soon? And she said, oh, yeah, my mom's friend. She's an OBGYN and she's planning on starting her own practice. Oh, well, what's her name? She told me her name and she gave me her phone number. And I prodded her for a couple more. I may have got a one or two more out. I think I got her mom out of her and somebody else. Those cardiologists, not one of them ever answered the phone. But that OBGYN did. And when she answered the phone, she said, yes, can I come see you tomorrow? I was like, I didn't even, that wasn't in my script. I was like, I don't know what I do after this. Yes, you can. So she came and saw me the next day and, you know, I helped her build a financial plan and transition into starting her own practice. And then, of course, at some point during that relationship, I said, business owners work incredibly hard for their business. Do you know other people that want to start their own business? Oh, well, I know a podiatrist. Uh, I know someone else. She doesn't want, she's on her own business, but she's a ER doctor. She's a great friend. She'd love your help. Uh, both that podiatrist and that ER doctor became clients. So next, before you know it, I had this whole little network of doctors. They all happened to be in the same hospital. So what I would do on our marketing days when I was supposed to get out of the office and go meet people, I would go pick up a pound of Starbucks coffee and a dozen or so donuts or bagels. And I would just go into that uh, office, hospital office park and just knock on doors and say, hey, do you know Dr. So-and-so down the hall? Well, yeah, I helped him set up a 401k. Would you like to learn how you, we can set up yours? I didn't get a lot of clients out of that, but a lot of people got to know me and I got to meet nurses and, you know, all these other individuals at the hospital. And so that just grew from there to the point where I can trace back. There is a, I can trace about 35% of our existing clients all the way back to that young lady that worked downstairs. Wow. Okay. So that's how a lot of that came into play. Now, from that, I started participating in medical conferences. So I'll go to the American College of Emergency Physicians, the other ones who I can't say the, the initials right now, the acronyms right now, but I would go to these other conferences and speak. Just last night, I spoke at a nonprofit organization called Black Girl White Coat. And their purpose is to help 
individuals that are transitioning from uh, college to medical school to residency, because there's a lot of things you have to pay for through that process where they're not making enough money to pay for them. So they help raise funds for that. So what happens is I'll wind up speaking to people while they're in medical school. And then I get an email six years later said, you told me this was going to happen. Can we meet? I'm like, who are you? And I, I can go back to my CRM and like, oh, I remember you. Okay, awesome. Yeah, come on in. Let's talk about it. Because now that thing has happened where they went from making 3000 to 30000 overnight. So that's where a, a large amount of our clients come from. I don't participate in any lead purchase programs. I don't do, I used to do lunch and learns. I don't do them anymore. I don't do the dinner and learns, the, the whatever you call them, those seminars. I, I don't do any of that. I do client appreciation events with my clients. If they want to bring me into their organization to do a talk, I'll do that. But right now, I would say that we are, other than a small practice I purchased a few years ago, we're probably 95% referral-based. There's a few people that come in off the internet just because, you know, our stuff is out there and podcast is out there. So there's a few people that come from that. But 90 plus percent of the people are just referrals. I mean, just this week alone, yesterday, we had three new appointments scheduled from three different sources, all referrals. So that's where the clients are coming from. Now, uh, there are, because of the referral relationship, there are a lot that just start to come from other industries. So I have clients now at Google, I have clients at Facebook, I have clients at FedEx, and clients at companies we've all never heard of before that also run their own businesses that are retired now. So it is a good mix of people, but uh, the large, close to half of them are in the medical field in some way, shape. Nice. As a parent with multiple children, thinking you also could do like basically a referral service. If your kid has a problem, here you go. You've got like a list of doctors, you know. It happens. Yes. I get a lot of those emails. Got a lot of emails. I know you know someone. Yeah, I do actually. Yes. I get some weird emails sometimes of photos of things like, can you send this to one of your doctors and let me know what this rash is? Like, whoa, this is going beyond financial services. But yes, I can actually do that for you. I also have a neighbor. Like, don't you work with a lot of doctors? Here, take a picture of my son's back. Send it to one of your doctors. And did. And the doctor said, hey, it's probably this. Because she had been to like three doctors, couldn't figure it out. I sent it to one of my doctors. He's like, yeah, it's probably this and this. The fourth doctor said, oh, it's this. She was like, how did the other three people miss this? And your doctor got in a text message. It was like, it's, it's her specialty. She specializes in that. So that's why she was able to recognize it from a text message. That is awesome. Keeping along the theme of clients and not so much doctors, but I'd love to actually hear with the markets kind of pulling back here lately. What are some of the conversations you're having with your clients and, you know, what are they caring about right now and, and how are you kind of helping them along in this journey? I know we've had, as you mentioned, we're, told we're in August now, probably this podcast will be released until September, but we've had seven months of almost lower left upper right performance. Then we seem to be having the markets kind of slowly digesting higher rates for longer. If that happens, I'd love to hear kind of what your clients are thinking. The biggest thing that our clients are talking about right now is uh, putting their cash to work, especially because I'm big on cash reserves, smart money management philosophy, having a smart place to get money. Well, now it'll be smarter if that money's making something because I do have clients with thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars cash reserves because they have ten, fifteen, twenty thousand a month, you know, lifestyles. So that fifty thousand dollars just sitting in their bank account earning point nothing is not smart. So we've been talking about high yield checking and savings accounts, money market accounts, treasury bills, things of that nature, just getting a higher yield on their cash. And I've sent out some communications about it. I've actually, I looked the other day, we've collected millions of dollars over the past couple of months just going into things like treasury bills and money market accounts. Just for me telling clients, hey, how much are you getting on your cash in your bank? That's been one key topic. Another key topic that I think is going to stay top of mind for clients is the interest rates and the effect it has on the debt that they have. So, you know, when you're working with clients that are making half a million or more, they're, you know, they have access to a little bit more. Maybe they're building a house or what have you. Maybe they have a construction loan or a home equity line of credit. And now our conversation is, okay, that line of credit interest rate is outrageous. Okay, let's, how do we restructure? How do we pay that down? Along the lines of debt, working with a lot of clients in the medical field, thing that's top of mind right now are student loans. Being that, as you mentioned, we're going into September now. Student loan moratorium is ending. So we got to all go back to paying our student loans again. So, you know, coming up with what strategy is best, what payment repayment plan is best. So that's top of mind. I will say that in my practice, we don't talk a lot about returns. It's kind of they are where they are. What's your risk tolerance? Okay, well, this is what kind of return you can expect. 
Don't expect to see it this year, next year, or the year after that. Expect to see that over 10 years, helping them understand the long game. So I am having to have some conversations with clients, especially the new ones, of saying, this is not normal. I know you got a 20% rate of return. Don't expect that all the time. It is not normal. You know, and then the clients that just started last week, they're like, well, what's going on? I gave you $10,000. I already have nine. Okay, this is normal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is normal. This is normal. Just keep putting the money in, you know, and think about it long term. I am in some of my higher value clients. They're starting to ask more about annuity products because if they watch TV long enough, they're going to hear somebody talk about it or they're, you know, watch the news, what have you. They are starting to ask about alternatives a little bit more just looking for ways to kind of shield them. Because some of those clients have had, I mean, if I've had the client for 10 years, it's been a really good run. I mean, we had that little blip of 2020 and then it just, you know, took off again. So I've got clients with some pretty good returns baked into their portfolio. So now a lot of the questions are, how do we keep it? They start wanting to preserve more of what they have. Those are some of the conversations that are starting to creep up right now. But most of it is, hey, is $10,000 enough to put in T-bills? Yes, it is. There you go. Get your T-bills. <laughs> you know, what's the least amount I can do? 1000 Here you go. So. No, that's awesome. And I appreciate that insight from you. It's always, you know, I find no one as a former trader, when the markets start to shift, there's definitely a certain segment that can kind of get a little nervous and, you know, want to talk about it. But we're totally going to switch gears here. Love to actually kind of hear what's your approach to marketing and building your brand, just because in our conversations, I know the name of the firm, yeah, you but on your website, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but you know, they're definitely, you seem to be driven in a certain way and have definitely have a, a mindfulness around kind of where you want to be and the goal to get there. So as you can, for those watching this in real time, you can see I've got some uh, Carl Richards paintings back there. So that is, uh, I know it's a little out of focus, but it has your happiness, excuse me, it has your values and your use of money. So your values on the y-axis, your use of money on the x-axis, and then it's arrow going up into the to the right for your happiness. So basically saying that if you, what you're doing is in alignment, if your money, if what you're doing with your money is in alignment with your values, then it should lead to more happiness. And so also put, taking a page out of his book, I was listening to him speak and he talked about building a practice. And he said, if I ever go to a financial services website and I see a sailboat or some old smiling people and you're not either one of those people, I'm immediately getting off your website. It's like, don't do that. That is the worst. Why do we pigeonhole everybody into that? And I started thinking about what he was saying. I was like, you know what? I didn't have any sailboats and I didn't have the old couple, but I did have some of the, you know, the cliche photos that people would have on a financial services website. And I just pulled the plug. I said, nope, we're not doing it anymore. I said, the only people that will be on our website is our team. I said, we are all beautiful people. It will be us and our team. So if you go to my website, you'll see me, you'll see my wife, you'll see my daughter, you'll see my son. Where it talks about student loans, that's my son's college graduation photo. When we send out a communication about student loans or whatever, saving for college, it's my son or my daughter in it. So we believe that we are the brand and so we get to market ourselves. So everything we do is around that. We do newsletters often, so at least about once a week or so, we'll send out newsletters that will have pertinent information that clients should talk about. And we have an outstanding response rate because sometimes a newsletter will say something like, hey, so what's the best thing to happen to you this week? And I'll get 15 emails about the best thing to happen this week. Nothing about the markets, nothing about moving money. It's just keeping, it's having that relationship with them that says that I care about you, not just about your money. So I think that's very helpful. The marketing for me is just how do we continue to put ourselves, put our brand in front of our clients and show who we are and show what we stand for and invite them to be a part of it and invite them to invite their friends to be a part of it. The second big component of our marketing is podcasts. So the Money Script podcast is now on episode 78 or 79, started in the um, pandemic. And it just kept going. It just kept and it's still going. And I... Not a week goes by that I don't get a message from a client or an email that says, oh, I just binged all 70 plus episodes. Wow. Like you could charge for this. I'm like, well, no, it's just, I was like, everybody can have this. This is the free stuff. So that is another big piece of our marketing is just showing people that, hey, there's resources out there where you can get some information and not just consume a lot of the BS that's out there that really is just noise. It's not really going to help you move forward and bring your behaviors more in alignment with your goals and your values. Nope, that's great. So have you found, I know we've had a couple other independent advisors on the podcast that switch from, you know, going from 
somewhere, whether it be the wires or wherever, kind of going independent, a lot of people realize that there's a little bit of a technology hurdle there that they have to kind of overcome and pick what vendors you want to use, what resources you have, and obviously things all change. Are there any external technical resources or platforms that you've woven into your business? So the first I would tell you is Michael Kitsis. That is the first thing you want to weave into your business is he is the Google for financial services. And he has done a lot more work than we could ever do in the next few minutes on this podcast of helping advisors understand what's out there when you're trying to create your own brand. So he's a breadth of information there. So I would encourage you to start there. The other thing that's helpful is really just thinking about the components that you know you're going to need. And a few of them are is you need a CRM. Okay, so you're going to have to pick one of them. You're going to need some sort of billing service. So pick one of those. Of course, you need a custodian. We all know that. And you're going to need a, some sort of risk management or rebalancing tool. So pick one of those. And then, of course, you're going to need a, a compliant way to manage emails and client communications and all that good stuff. So those are like the core that you're going to need. And really, you just got to go out and see who's out there. I mean, I would encourage you. Actually, Kitsis just did a interview with Jason Wink on the Advisor. I can't remember the name of their podcast, but Advisor Success Podcast, I think it is. So just look up Jason Wink. He's the founder of Altruist. Just look up his podcast. I think it's the Advisor Success Podcast. It's with him and Desarte Yarnway. They just did an entire, I think, hour and a half episode on Tech Stack. And it's very helpful. I will share some of my things that I do for those advisors that already have a tech stack. Once a year, I sit down and I list all of my tech stack. Actually, I have it already in the list. I have everything listed. I have my assistant put in what is the price that I'm paying for everything. And then I give it two scores. I give it an impact score. So what is the impact that it has on the practice itself? You know, from base of score from a one to a 10. And then I give it a score of, do I like it? You know, the, how much does it frustrate me? When is it working, not working? And then I multiply those two scores out. And pretty much anything that's scoring less than, say, a 50, I'm like, why do I still have this technology? It's time to get rid of it. One of them that's on the list right now is I pay for a fax service. It's $239 a year. Do you know how many faxes I send? I'm going to say less than five. Less than five. But yet I've been paying $239 a year and they all, and it's always really clunky. It's on the chopping block this year. I will, it renews in December. I will not be paying for that. I'm sorry, clients, prospects, you will not be able to fax me. Figure it out. Okay. So well, come to 2023. But I do this every single year in the fourth quarter. And mind you, as an advisor, you're going to get calls all year long. They find you out there and call you, hey, would you like to look at this tech, look at that tech? I tell them all, send it to me. I review my text in the fourth quarter. Unless it's an urgent, I need it right now, I'll just review it in the fourth quarter and then decide what I'm going to keep, what I'm going to get rid of. But yeah, that's how I'd encourage you to manage it and just, you know, just audit it once a year, make these decisions, figure out, okay, is it a good, is it going to make an impact? Does it frustrate you? Does it excite you? And then go out and look and see what some of your options are. Oh, and I left off one of the biggest ones. If you're a financial planner, you need a financial planning tool. Okay, so you're going to need that tool as well if you're doing planning. I mean, if you're just focused on investment management, not needed as much. But if you are going to hold yourself out as a financial planner, you don't want to be doing it all in Excel and on an illegal pad. I mean, you can, but if you like time, you probably don't want to do that. You want to, you know, use a tool for that. So, so yeah, so I would really just think about, okay, and, and this is what they talk about a lot in that podcast is what is your tech stack? Do you know what your tech stack is? What's in it? What are the key components of it? And then who are the players? What are you missing? What needs to be on your radar? That sort of thing. I think that's great insight. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. I think you've listed a lot of other great resources and podcasts, definitely for everybody to check out. And I want to thank you for your time again. Last question for you. We at Harbor wholeheartedly believe in active management. And it's actually the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, The Active Advisor. But active management means something different to everyone. Curious how you're incorporating active management in your practice and or portfolio construction. So I am a, I'm one of those uh, on the fence guys. And I just like sitting right on the fence and don't mind being on the fence and have been on the fence for a long time. And on the fence, meaning I have one leg swinging on one side of the fence and one on the other. And when I have a client that says, oh, I've read, you know, Nick was named Vogel, the Vanguard book, and I've read this and index funds are the way. Great. Here's some index funds. 
I also have some clients who are like, no, I don't want those index funds. I need, I want to know that someone is actively making decisions. I don't trust the computer. Great. Here's some actively managed funds. If you look at my portfolio, I'm about 50-50. Well, half my stuff is in index funds. The other half is in active funds because I truly believe that humans are here for a reason. And sometimes we're able to think better than a computer can. Okay. So I said sometimes. So, so I believe, and, and if you would go and do the research, yes, if you're just talking about an S&P 500-like fund, yes, half the funds are going to beat the index and the other half are not. Okay. But let's talk about the half that do. If we can find ones that consistently do it over a longer period of time, wouldn't you rather have your money there? Because the returns they're showing you are net of fees. So if they're outperforming net of fee, then the index, and they've done it consistently, that's great. So I continue to use both passive and index funds in my portfolios and am a fan of both. I even have some active portfolios that I've created myself using the tool uh, Nitrogen, formerly Riskalyze. I can create portfolios that I actively manage. And I go in and I rebalance them and make changes to them. I have ones that are built with stocks. I have ones that are built with funds and I have ones that are built with index funds. So I'm actively <laughs> managing index funds. But I believe that we have to sometimes use our brain and use our gut. And as long as we're not betting everything on one individual stock or even one individual fund for that matter, I think diversification is key. So I am a, uh, I'm a yes as I sit on the fence with legs swinging on both sides. No, but I think it's great. It's funny. It's when we ask this question, people, you know, either, I don't like active, or I do like active. But being active, and I think, we're coming from being active is you're actively helping your clients choose certain index funds. You're actively choosing, you know, other Absolutely. things. I, I think there's really kind of active, everybody can kind of pigeonhole it one way or the other, but we're really just kind of, how are you, you know, if you're being, by making a choice, you're making an active decision. Uh, I tell you what, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank wishes they had an active manager of their bond portfolio right now. But they did not. They were passive. They were like, oh, we should buy these 30-year treasuries. It'll be okay. Did you not hear interest rates? You saw they just went up, right? You, you did? No, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to, okay, we'll just sit here. Yeah. yeah no, nah, it's fine. Just put it underneath the rug. It'll, it'll be. Yeah. So yeah, if you think about, I was talking about treasury bills. I'm actively managing a treasury bill portfolio that rolls over every two to three months or, or well, depending on the client, about every month I have a, you know, millions of treasury bills that mature and I have to actively go and select. Are we going to buy a three-month, a six-month, a four-month, a two-month, a one-month? You know, I, that, that is something, and if, I mean, there are funds that do it. There's a ETFs that do it, and there's also managed funds that do it. Right now, I don't know if there's any programs that can accurately understand interest rates are going up. I don't care what you have, or they're going to probably stay up for longer. So I definitely feel that in the fixed income space, active management is needed right now. Agreed, wholeheartedly. And I think that's one of the things that investors are coming to grips with. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. How can people find you? Please list your website, any social media handles that you may have, and whether you're participating in any foundations. Absolutely. So the Money Script Podcast, that's the first place to go find me. Please check out the podcast, like and subscribe, all that good stuff, and share with a friend and tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Also, if you're another advisor listening to this and you'd like to, you know, maybe you think about starting your own podcast, I love having advisors on my podcast. I do a thing called Between Two Advisors where we talk about the industry, talk about clients, and talk about how to help each other get better at what we do. Of course, if you're a client looking for more, you can also subscribe to the podcast. You can also just go to moneyscript.com and learn more about me there. And then on all of the social medias, it's at the MoneyScript. So for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we don't really do. I think I've reserved a page on TikTok, but I haven't done anything there yet. Don't let my son hear me say that. You can also find our podcast on uh, YouTube at the Money Script Podcast on YouTube as well. Okay, so I'm going to actively, what I heard is I'm going to actively look for a dance routine from you and your son on TikTok soon. That's what I've heard. He's been begging, Dad, you got this. Well, everyone's doing it. You got to do it. I'm like, I don't, I don't. I just don't believe my clients are there. I mean, maybe they are, but I, I don't know. I, he's, who knows? Who knows? But it would be fun to watch. Who knows? It would be that you are correct. It would be fun to watch. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. And, and now's my personal favorite part of the podcast, the lightning round, or as we call it, 60 seconds with Johans. Let me know when you're ready. 
I'm ready. Nickname. Yo. Hobby. Gardening and photography. Favorite book or movie about finance. The psychology of money. Best professional advice you've ever received. Don't ever get rid of your clients. Question if you weren't an advisor. National Geographic photographer. Hidden talent. Being able to measure the weight of a suitcase before getting to the airport. Bucket list travel destination. Europe. Favorite family activity. Going to Europe. NFL. Panthers or Cowboys? Panthers. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. If you could meet any historical figure, who would it be? Barack Obama. If your life had a theme song, what would it be? Public service announcement by Jay-Z. More important for advisors to be good listeners or good investors? Good listeners. Piece of advice that applies to almost any client. Plan for the certainty of uncertainty. Favorite way to get active? I took up running. I'm a runner now. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just getting started, the Active Advisor brought to you by Harbor Capital offers professional insights for the financial advisor community. Visit us at harborcapital.com to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to the Active Advisor on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on investment trends, tried and tested research methods, and what your industry peers are up to. From all of us at Harbor Capital, thanks for tuning in. And now for important disclosures, this material is for informational purposes and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research or investment advice and is not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of 18th of August 2023 and are subject to change. The opinions expressed by the speakers do not necessarily represent the views of Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by Harbour Capital Advisors, Inc. to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive and are not guaranteed as to accuracy. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. Such information may include, among other things, projections and forecasts. There is no guarantee that any of these views will come to pass. This material may not be representative of the experience of other individuals. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the viewer. This material is not legal, tax or accounting advice. Please consult with a qualified professional for this type of advice. Investing involves risk including the risk of loss. Stock markets are volatile and equity values can decline significantly in response to adverse issuer, political, regulatory, market and economic conditions. Fixed income investments are affected by interest rate changes and the creditworthiness of issuers. As interest rates rise, the values of fixed income securities are likely to decrease. Specific companies and issuers are mentioned for educational purposes only and should not be deemed a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. Any companies mentioned do not necessarily represent current or future holdings of any investment products. Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. This material is prepared by Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. is not affiliated with MoneyScript Wealth Management PLLC. All trademarks or product names mentioned herein are the property of their respective owners. Copyright 2023 Harbour Capital Advisors Inc. All rights reserved.